Oh, good morning. That's an interesting term, we're winging it. <laughs> we are, pretty much. Uh, <clears throat> I'm preaching from John 17 this morning, and uh, <clears throat> I feel like I need to make a few comments about uh, why I'm in John 17. Uh, the first part of the week when I was thinking about what would I preach, uh, the thought came to me, I would really like to preach a sermon on God's uh, intentions toward us uh, What, what does God want for us, or what, what uh, see, I'm struggling to get words here. What does the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what kind of relationship do they have, and what, what are they inviting us into? What do they want for us? What are their intentions toward us? I was trying to think about that, and then I was trying to think of, uh, well, what are some scriptures that talk about this? And, and I struggled some, actually, to think of uh, passages that talk like that. Uh, and part of my thought was, well, what does it mean to belong to God? What kind of relationship is that? What kind of experience is that? What does God want for us in this belonging relationship? And maybe the problem is the whole Bible talks about it, and I was having a hard time thinking of a specific place to, to go at it. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, maybe on Tuesday it came to me that I, I could start in John 17. And then Wednesday evening at prayer meeting, Dan mentioned John 17. And um, is that right? You did, yes. And uh, so this morning I'm feeling just a shade um, bad for uh, Dan because uh, if he wanted to use John 17, he might feel like he can't. <laughs> but I assure you, you can. I doubt I'm going to say the things the way you would have or even the same things. So... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, the question I have is, what does it mean to belong to God, to belong to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? I, when I say God, I mean the Trinity. What kind of thoughts, attitudes, and intentions does God have toward believers? So John, in John 17, this is a Christ prayer immediately before his trial and crucifixion and resurrection in which he reveals uh, the intimate relationship that he has with the Father and the relationship of Christ's followers with Christ and the Father and also Christ's goals or the goals God has for his followers. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can be <clears throat> drawn uh, into God's intentions for us, toward us. Uh, 
I also probably should say that I, <clears throat> I, I struggle some uh, whenever I preach uh, because I, I, I think to myself, what, what translation should I use? And I know that probably sounds terrible, but uh, <clears throat> I like the King James and I've studied in the King James most of my life but it's a little harder to, uh, to understand. Uh, it takes more explanation. And uh, it's some translations, certain verses, I think express the thoughts better. So it's, it's just a little confusing to me which one to use. But this morning I'm going to read from uh, the New King James. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter. Jesus spoke these words, John 17, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I am with them in the world, I kept them in your name. <clears throat> those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world, the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. 
your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may all, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and that, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world had not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Now, there are many, many thoughts in these verses. Uh, verses 1 to 5, uh, where Christ says, um, glorify your son. Uh, the, the comments there about, they speak of the relationship that Christ has with the Father. And uh, Christ asked the Father to glorify him, the Son, as the Son has already glorified the Father. So these, these verses express the intimate relationship that, that the Son and the Father have. Uh, to glorify, to glorify, what does it mean here, to glorify? Uh, it means to acknowledge, to extol, to magnify, to make known, to praise God for who he is in his person. It's, not, it's also what he does, but first of all, who he is as a person. And in verse 1, Christ asked the Father to glorify or to make known the Son so that the Son will be able to glorify or make known the Father. So the Father is, is um, making the Son known, revealing who the Son is in the world as he lived in the world. And the Son then in turn, by his words and actions, is revealing who the Father is. Now, one thing that's obvious in that statement is that that the Father and the Son are one and working together. Uh, in verse 4, Christ says he has been glorifying the Father while he, while he was on earth. 
and he glorified the Father by making the true nature of the Father known. So every, everything that Christ did in the world revealed the Father. In verse 2, uh, Christ says that the Father gave the Son power or authority is the idea to give eternal life to people. The Son has the authority to give eternal life to people. And he is, he is uh, giving eternal life to the people that the Father has given to him. Okay, now, if this was a class, I would stop and ask you to tell me what I said. What did I just say? Now, I'm doing this so that you will get this point. Okay, so I'm going to say it again. Uh, Christ says here that he is going to give eternal life to all the people that the Father gives to him. All whom you have given me. So that comment speaks of the Father's intention and active involvement in each person's coming to Christ and coming to the Father. I, I don't understand, I do not know how to explain this idea that, that um, the people who come to Christ already belonged to the Father. That's what, that's, that's what the comment sounds like. It was in the Father's heart that people belong to him. He wants people to belong to him. He wants people to come to Christ. So the Father has this intention and is actively involved in each person's belonging relationship with the Son and with the Father. That's what I see in that. A person becomes a believer because the Heavenly Father desires that. And I'm not trying to promote uh, a predestination to eternal life uh, that a person cannot resist. I'm not trying to promote that. Uh, I, I believe, I do believe that people cooperate um, with and respond to the work of the Holy Spirit the actions of God. There is a response, there's a receiving. But I believe these uh, kinds of statements at least speak of the actions of God uh, and the intentions of God toward people. And that our, our response uh, to God and belonging to God is the result of God's intentions and desires that we do belong to him. Uh, I'm not sure. 
I, I wish I could do something while I'm talking here to, to make something happen inside your heart uh, that, that you would uh, uh, be able to feel, understand how precious that is. That, that the Father would have this kind of intention and desire uh, toward you, the desire for you to belong to him. Uh, because, because he wants you. Now in verse 3, uh, there's this interesting statement that defines what eternal life is. It says, this is eternal life that you may know the Father, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know the Father and the Son. That's what eternal life is in this definition. Eternal life is knowing the Father. So the question here is, what kind of knowing is this? What kind of knowledge of the Father is this? Uh, this it's not speaking of uh, a simp simply a, no a knowing of facts about the Father. Uh, I believe Jesus is praying about knowledge of the Father that is gained through a relationship with the Father. The relationship people who belong to Christ have with the Father. Knowledge of the Father that is gained through active, um, active relationship with Christ and with the Father. So there's a call, there's a call in that uh, verse to knowing, a knowing, it's a call to a certain kind of relationship called to, to active, active, uh, well, at least, <laughs> active prayer, active communication. It's a call that's a result, of, it's, it's a relationship that's the result of the call that is a result of God's intention, the good intention to have you belong to him. It's our response to that and then our active involvement in the relationship. Uh, then in verse 4, uh, Christ says, I glorified you on the earth. So Christ is saying, I, I glorified the Father while I was here on the earth. And then... Um, I can't remember what the King James says, but uh, uh, finished. The idea here is uh, he says he glorified the Father by finishing the work. I finished the work which you've given me to do. Uh, and the idea is not, the idea is stated in, in a rather interesting way because Christ Christ expresses his finished work on the cross as if it is already finished before it's finished. And I think what that says is that in Christ's mind, in his intentions, 
this was finished. It was going to be finished in his mind, in his heart. That was his intention to complete the work that he had been sent to do. So Christ, here in the garden, he has this firm intention to bring to completion the work of salvation for, for people. The work that will allow people to move into this uh, kind of relationship with the Father, relationship with Christ. And then verse 5, uh, it says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself. I think I'm reading here from the New American Standard. Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And uh, in this request, Christ is asking the Father to receive him back into glory, back into heaven back into the presence, the, the uh, physical presence, with the Father that he had before he came to earth. Now, I don't think that we, uh, I don't think we know how to understand uh, what Christ coming to earth and leaving the presence of the Father meant for Christ, the loss it was for Christ. I don't think we understand that. In part, I think, because we don't understand the, the uh, intimate relationship that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit had. So this, this is the desire of Christ, to to be able, when his work is finished on earth, to be back with the Father in his presence. Then the rest of the chapter uh, from verse 6 on is Jesus' prayer for the disciples and for us today. Uh, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world, they were yours. This is a somewhat a repeat of the idea that we belong, um, we were in God's heart before we were a believer. You gave me out of the world, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So, <clears throat> The things that are being said here that Christ is saying is that Christ manifested or revealed the Father's person, his name, which stands for his person. He revealed the Father's person to the disciples. Uh, Jesus is also saying that the Father gave the disciples to Jesus, whatever that means. Christ is saying that the disciples belonged to the Father before the Father gave them to the Son. In his intentions, exactly how that's meant, I'm, I'm not sure. And Christ also says that the disciples have kept the Father's word. And uh, I'll just say about that comment that 
that I find that very fascinating because in our mind, I think what we would think about the disciples, they were a fickle bunch. And we aren't real sure, we aren't real sure probably what they were convinced of or what they knew or what they believed or what they understood. Which says to me that it appears, it appears that Christ had more confidence in the, in the disciples than what, uh, let's see, than what? Than what we do or what we would or more confidence in the disciples than we have in each other. Or, well, what, what do you make of that? So it is a call, it is a call, I think, to believe, to believe that God is at work and that God has intentions and that he will bring about his good purposes. And, and I know there's many confusing things to think about because from our point of view, God isn't bringing about his perfect will in many ways. So that, that's somewhat of a mystery, but God has intentions and he is at work. In verses 7 and 8, I'm reading from the New American Standard now. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them, and truly understood that I came from you. And they believed that you sent me. And so Jesus is saying that his disciples understand that the Father is the source of Jesus' words. He's saying that the disciples received, believed the words that Jesus spoke or speaks, and that the disciples believed that the Father sent Jesus. Then in verse, verse 9 and following, uh, Jesus prays for the perseverance of his disciples, and this is God's intention, Christ's intention, the Holy Spirit's intention for us. Our perseverance, he prays that they will be kept. Uh, he says, I ask on their behalf, and not on behalf of the world, the lost, but those whom you have given me for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. So here is a unity, a harmony, a oneness, a oneness of purpose, a oneness of intention, a oneness of belonging, a oneness of delight. They belong to me, they belong to you, they belong to both of us. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, it makes me smile. I mean, it, it does sound like Christ is just really delighted with this situation. You've given me these believers and they belong to me. And oh yes, they belong to you, they belong to both of us. And this is just really glorious. And so in verses 11 and 12, uh, Christ is asking the Father to keep, to keep his followers. 
And he also requests that they be one, they be united, they be in harmony, even as the Father and Son are. Keep them in harmony and also keep them from falling. Keep them from failure. Uh, and I will, uh, yes, <laughs> I will, I will uh, skip over the part about Judas. Uh, <clears throat> I think rather than uh, rather than us asking whether we are uh, like Judas and we're going to fail, we we need to look at at uh, the Father's intention, Christ's intention for us not to fail, and what the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are doing so that we don't fail and what the opportunities are that we have and the relationship that we can have that will keep us from that path. And so Christ is asking the Father to keep, to keep his followers from evil and from the evil one. And then in verse uh, Verses 20 and following, Jesus prays for you. That, that was all about the 11. <clears throat> and I think for us too. But this is specifically for you. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And so Jesus is praying for us. And he prays that his disciples throughout history would be one with the Father and Son, even as the Father and Son are one. Even as the Father is in Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. And I think, you know, all we can say about that is that that, that has not been realized as far as we know. There's been an awful lot of disharmony. And there's even, there's even a lack of unity in our hearts uh, toward the people we love and the people we're most committed to. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or critical here. I'm just saying that this is the reality. It's the reality, and we, and we are all in need of repentance. We're all in need of hearing this call. And Jesus says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Uh, that was verses 22 uh, and 23. It, now what this says is that this is a major intention of God, that we be, <clears throat> that we be in in harmony with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit the way Jesus and the Father and Holy Spirit are in harmony and that we be in harmony with God's people. And Jesus describes this oneness as Jesus in all believers and the Father in Jesus. And this will perfect all disciples in unity. The more, I believe, what it's saying is that the more in the Father and Son that believers are, the more in unity they are. Now, really, I, I think I have time to do this. I would really yet like to read, before I make some summary comments, I would really like to read Ephesians 1. And I'm not asking you to turn to it and follow. Uh, I just want to read it. And uh, you can even shut your eyes as long as you don't go to sleep. You're not allowed to go to sleep if I can't go to sleep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if I go to sleep, you're free to go to sleep too. All right. Okay, Ephesians 1. Beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in, heavens, things in the heavens and things on the earth, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, 
to the praise of his glory. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. I actually read some of those verses twice. <clears throat> so here are some summary thoughts. The believer is chosen, desired, wanted by God before his or her conversion. We are wanted by God. God's goal is that the believer has the same kind of relationship with God as the Trinity has among itself. God's goal is that believers have the same kind of love relationship with and good intentions toward one another as the Trinity has among itself. God has no desire to get rid of any believer. I mean, I have to smile when I say that because it would seem to me self-evident in the scripture. But I'm saying, God has no desire to get rid of any believer. God is always working to protect and preserve and keep for himself unto the end all who come to him. I believe a deeper conviction believes that this is the desire of God toward us and a deeper surrender to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of good intentions, the God of good intentions. A deeper surrender to the God of good intentions would change our relationship with God. And it would change the way we live our life. I'm sure it would. I didn't say a perfect surrender. I said a deeper one. I believe, I believe our lives would be characterized by more surrender to God and by more, more holiness as well. <clears throat> In my conversations with people, I think one, one of the major... Um, one of the major hindrances to their growth personally as a person and their growth in holiness of life, one of the greatest hindrances is, is a doubt um, that God is a God of good intentions and that he intends good for them. And I believe these verses, these passages speak of the of the God of good intentions and his good intentions for his people, that we are in his heart. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for revealing to us your heart toward us and the Father's heart toward us and the Holy Spirit's heart toward us. And your call, your invitation 
to us to belong to you, to belong to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would be our teacher and teach us uh, what it is that you want us to know and believe and how you want us to live out of this belief. Administer to us, Lord, in the uh, hindrances in our heart uh, to believing that you have good intentions toward us and want us to belong to you in this way. Uh, bless us, each one, with the ministry of your spirit, and thank you. Amen.